When you hear the word mercy, what comes into your mind? Hey guys, my name is Jessica Hartzold and I am obsessed with all things Jesus. I am a lover of my Bible and a pursuer of our Lord, but I am also a woman who makes mistakes doesn't always get it right. I haven't always been a follower of Jesus. Boy, have I not. However, during one of the most difficult times of my life, God illuminated for me the power of a choice and this gift of free will. She Chooses is a podcast purpose to help you fall in love with Jesus. And in doing so, learning how to harness this gift of free will by taking life one choice at a time. Let's get started. With each of these Beatitudes, we're noticing something. We're noticing there's a statement, like a characteristic, a component of your life. Maybe you look at it like an attitude, a lifestyle, an action, whatever you want to call it, however you want to describe it. There is a statement and there is a promise associated with it. Let's review. First, we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. I live in the spreadsheet world when it comes to my full-time job. And when I look at these, I can't help but see if-then statements. If you do this, then there is this. And it's this beautiful, wonderful thing promise. And we see these promises played out in these four Beatitudes that we have reviewed so far. Ladies, I I want the kingdom of God. I want comfort. I want inheritance. I want to be filled. That's only the first four. And these statements, they don't speak of some God who is austere and distant and restrictive. No, These speak of a God who is blessing, giving, compassionate, providing, and good. So, so good. Why would we not want to dive in and try to receive an understanding of what he's really telling us in these paradoxical statements that can be so hard to wrap our mind around? The answer is we do and we are. My family, we had a small group study the other day, and we were talking about how intimidating the Word of God is when it comes to really getting started. You know, we can have Bibles strategically placed all throughout our home, but if we aren't actually picking those up and opening them, they're doing nothing for us. But just opening those Bibles, opening our Bible, and taking a step to get acquainted with it, it can really feel impossible more like a mountain to climb or perhaps a marathon that we don't want to start training for. But actually getting started and developing consistency and getting into our Bible and reading it reveals to us, time out, God wants us to have an understanding. He wants to give us that understanding, but that's only going to come through dedication and faithfulness to time spent with him. Today, we're moving on to our next couple of Beatitudes. Our intro asked, you know, when you think of mercy, what do you think of? My older brother was a wrestler. 
there were times he would try his wrestling moves out on me and he, he said if I needed to get out all I was supposed to do was to say mercy and he was going to let go that was a lie I believed him so when I said it and he didn't instantly let me go I would frantically shout and scream mercy louder and louder and louder to which he eventually released his hold while he laughed something more comical of sorts like that or maybe you think of a beautiful grandmotherly type woman who's in your life who no matter your mistakes your misgivings your slip-ups she's always there to love on you and lift you up maybe you think something entirely different I decided to look up the word mercy and I found it's defined as this it's a compassion to someone in need someone who is helpless or distressed or in debt and without claim to favorable treatment. That sounds like a beautiful definition, doesn't it? Helping someone who cannot help themselves. Often it seems like the world that we live in lacks mercy, like big time. So getting our mind wrapped around this idea that we should be merciful or trying to allow ourselves to extend mercy to someone else unfortunately feels like a stretch you know thinking of this definition who in your life could be defined as merciful and and what did they do that speaks mercy to you something to ponder and process this next be attitude that we're talking about says blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy Blessed are the merciful, and their promise is, for they shall obtain mercy. The last episode, we ended discussing how the the more we hunger and thirst for righteousness, the closer we step toward God. The closer we are to God, the more like him we become. The more like him we become, the more we learn to forgive others. We start to gain an understanding to what it means to be merciful, and we actually develop a desire to extend it to others as God has extended it so graciously to us. As individuals, when we get to that place, we actually become a conduit of his mercy, right? He pours it into us, and we can't help ourselves because of the beauty of what we have received. We desire to pour it onto others. Matthew chapter 18, we find Peter, he's asking the Lord, he says, how many times do I forgive? As though he expected there to be an end to mercy. Because why wouldn't you? We, we've all heard that cliche phrase that says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That makes a whole lot of sense, right? It does to me. You know, we look at it like there should be a line that should not be crossed. But Jesus, he doesn't operate that way. And thankfully, he doesn't. Thankfully, for our sake, he doesn't operate that way. If he did, we would all be up a creek without a paddle in sight. If there is breath in our lungs, there is a need for forgiveness and mercy. If we have a repentant heart, we can freely receive that. And we need to freely receive that. Jesus' response to Peter was, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. I am not a math person. Can't stand math, actually. 
but I know enough to know 70 times 7 is 490 times, which is a whole lot more than fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. That's a stinking lot of forgiveness and mercy being dished out. We have basically zero tolerance when it comes to other shortcomings, but when it comes to our own, we're like, pour it out, Lord, pour it out, Lord, pour it out. And this isn't something that we can blame on our current cultural climate, is it? This one gets chalked up to our flesh, our own self, and it has been happening since the beginning. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5 says this, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Why do you think we notice other people's specks before we recognize our own planks? Personally, with a whole lot of transparency, I don't want to see my own shortcomings. Because once I do, that means I'm not perfect, and I've got work to do. I don't mind seeing your shortcomings because, well, if I'm horizontally comparing myself to others, your shortcomings, they make me feel better about who I am. And that that is horrible, guys. That is so horribly transparent. But when we're living in our flesh, that is absolutely an honest answer that we all can say, that we all can confess, but not what God wants for us. Our natural response when we receive mercy needs to be to extend it to others. I want to go to the parable of the unforgiving debtor. This parable struck me so hard at a very unmerciful time in my own life whenever I was dealing with unforgiveness and bitterness for some hurt that that another person had caused me. And I'll just pause right now and let's go ahead and listen to the parable of the unforgiven debtor. It says this, then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. 
This man did not understand the magnitude of mercy and forgiveness that had been poured out on him. The same is true of us. This, I already said it before I started reading it, this is a smack you in the face, knock the air out of your lungs sort of parable that is so uncomfortable to take in because we can so easily connect it to our own self and we can see, oh man, Jesus, I have done the same thing. The same thing. We we don't understand the magnitude of God's mercy. We show that we don't understand the magnitude of God's mercy when we take on that anthem that says, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Or if we're giving ourselves permission to not show someone else mercy, that's such a deep thought to consider, to take today and consider in, in your private reflection time, you know, who are who am I refusing to show mercy to? Who are you refusing to show mercy to? And consider that thought again, that you don't understand the magnitude of God's mercy if you excuse yourself from showing mercy to another. When we are abiding in Christ, our hearts can hear when God is calling us to extend mercy. And it's because we understand the hurt we ourselves have caused that allows us to forgive those who have hurt us. And it's self-righteousness, pride, and lack of obedience that are too often standing in our way of extending it. It sounds so cliche to say, but it is so crazy true. Extending mercy to others is a gift we give others and ourselves. When we get the courage to step into this space, we realize a whole nother level of freedom. It is amazing absolutely amazing. And it leads us directly into the next beatitude, which says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Here's our statement, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That promise for they shall see God. I want to see God. Don't you? I want to see him face to face. When we allow this, the purifying of our heart to happen, our outlook changes as our mind is being transformed. Romans 12 and 2 is a verse that everyone needs everyone needs to hide in our heart. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God can't say it any more clear than that, can he? He said, Be not conformed to this world. This world says, don't be merciful. It actually says, hate others who think differently than you. Certainly don't associate with them and absolutely do not go to dinner with them. Never become a friend to them. We are seeing this sad truth spiral as we watch this mentality taking over our country right now. But God says, no, our outlook needs to be changed. He wants to transform our mind. And when we allow him to do that transformation, something amazing happens as he's purifying our heart. A pure heart is a requirement to be a disciple. The heart is a big deal to God. We know this because scripture mentions it over 700 times. Often, though, it's like we're watering down what heart means. So we have to understand the heart, according to scripture, is talking about the core of who we are, our thoughts, our feelings, our mind, our center. When we read this beatitude, again, keeping this definition in mind, 
the the depth of this statement stretches substantially. It's more than this vital organ that we absolutely have to have to pump life throughout our body. With this understanding, blessed are the pure in heart goes beyond that initial thought, and we can rephrase it like this. Blessed are the pure in thought. Blessed are the pure in will. Blessed are the pure in emotion. Guys, there's a whole lot of purifying that needs to happen whenever we think about our, our secret thought life or our will. What, is, what are our intentions? What are we really trying to do? And those emotions, oh my goodness, emotions, that is a whole nother study that can last a long, long, long time. Becoming a new creation is a process that lasts our entire life. We have to learn to die to our sin natures, to change our thinking and begin responding to the Holy Ghost promptings. We have to learn to crucify those sinful desires in order to gain strength over them. Sin should not dominate us. We have to allow God to dominate it. As we allow this to happen, we are transformed from glory to another glory. As we allow the Holy Ghost to take over, this is what's happening. As God takes us from glory to glory, he's revealing more and more of himself to us. And whenever um, the, the term from glory to glory, it struck me several years back. We had a New Year's Eve banquet that was talking about from glory to glory. And I just asked God, like, what does this even mean? I was really struggling with that. And God just, he opened up my mind to show me that the from glory to glory that he had taken me um, to at that point point in my life, you know, like I had found, we all have strongholds in our mind and different things that have hold on us at different points of our life. And God in that time, as I was really seeking this out, he showed me, he's like, look, he's like, you thought that this was impossible to overcome and you allowed me to help you to overcome it. And I, I, took you to this glory. I revealed something about myself to you. And then there was this other point, another stronghold that you didn't realize was there, but you allowed me to reveal it to you. And and there it was. And you allowed me to help you to tear it down, to tear it down for you. And I took you to yet another glory where I saw him just a little bit more clear. And that is one of the most beautiful things that God can reveal to us is with every bit of transformation we allow him to, to perform in our mind, there is yet a clearer image of who he is that we get to step toward. And it's a beautiful thing that is worth it. So what does a pure heart look like? A pure heart is undivided. It's unmixed. It's unadulterated. It's sifted. It's genuine. Real nothing added. Purification of our hearts is done through the gift of salvation. It's done by both God and us. Jesus, he paid the price. He gave us our identity and we have to develop the skills we need to function maturely. We have to be willing to develop those skills that he wants us to have. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 in the Amplified Version says this, For by the one offering he was perfected forever and completely cleansed those who are being sanctified, bringing each believer to spiritual completion and maturity. He wants to bring us to spiritual completion, and we have to be willing to grow. But take a take a, another peek at that verse. Let's ask ourselves this question, is this sanctification a one and done action or process? 
No, absolutely not. And we see it here. We see it says, for by the one offering he was perfected forever and completely cleansed those who are being sanctified. Not those who had been sanctified, those who are being sanctified. That shows us this is a continual, continual process. We heard in our first lesson, Jeremiah 17 and 9, it, it, it tells us very directly and painfully that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Friends, that's so true. Of all of us, and this is a lifelong journey, we are going to slip up. We're going to run into those strongholds in our mind that are hard for us to push through. Things that we don't want to push through. Things that we may stall out for a while as, as God helps us to build courage to tear things down and allow him to reshape and remold us. This is not a process for the faint of heart. It is every bit intentional, but it's a process that is vital to each and every one of us. So how do we go from this deceitful heart to a pure heart? A religious mind obeys God's word because God says so. We don't want to we don't want to stop. We don't want to limit ourselves to that thinking. We want to step beyond that. Someone with a pure heart experiences this dissipation of fleshly desires for sin and instead finds joy in abiding abiding in Christ. Who wouldn't want that? I don't want to just do something because God says so. I want to do it because he says so. And I want to experience the why, the freedom that sits beyond that. We all want that. I used to smoke cigarettes. I remember I used to smoke one just to help me relax or zone out. One day I felt like true conviction and was absolutely ready to hand them to a confidant in exchange for this deeper relationship with Jesus. That was such a vulnerable moment, but it was vital and so liberating to allow that dissipation of that fleshly desire to, uh, to, to smoke, to be rid from my body and exchange it for a new joy and a closer walk with him. And there have been many other exchanges along my way, and I'm, I'm sure that there are others to come. But it's so worth it because sin, it, it besets us from Jesus. It divides us from him. Sin and holiness cannot dwell together. So every sin we allow God to remove from our life or every um, impure thought, impure will, impure motive, all of those things that we allow God to rid from our life, the more we can actually abide in who he is. And it's such a worthwhile exchange. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 tells us to guard our heart. Above all else, guard our heart. So what does that mean to you? It can be... Um, a difficult thought to process and wonder, like, what does that really mean, Lord? For me, over the years, this is what it looks like. Paying attention, trying to live in the moment, acknowledging that I am a daughter of the King. It means not living life going through those motions. Too often, I find this is the case for me, and if I'm not deliberate about guarding my heart, Sin can begin tiptoeing in. You know, I can begin making allowances for different thoughts or ideas that may not be what God really desires for me to have. So guarding my heart means I get up every morning and I talk to him first. I get in the word every day. I may not understand what I've read that day, but I'm in it because I know he has promised understanding comes through the word. My faith comes by hearing the word. That is a promise 
from scripture. My faith is activated by doing and my relationship with the Lord grows and my trust in him more solidified when I choose to walk daily with him. And I can recognize those places where I'm not guarding my heart more easily when these things are part of my daily living. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Oh, we cannot just look the part. You're just looking the part and not living the part or allowing that sanctified sanctification process to happen. We are not fooling anyone but ourselves. This beatitude says that loud and clear. We have to allow our heart to be purified, our mind, our will, our emotions. I'm going to say it again. Those emotions on their own can be a big task to purify. Let's consider for just a minute, how does this beatitude relate to the others that we've talked about so far? started like this, blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When I look at these statements, I can honestly say my heart is not ready to be purified until I've allowed God to begin working in these other areas. You know, I have to, my, my spirit has to be poor. I have to acknowledge my spiritual poverty, where I am in this space that the world does not revolve around me, that I have nothing without the Lord. That is the very first step. I have to mourn my self-sufficiency and my thought that I could build my own kingdom. I have to allow God to create meekness within me replacing any pride there is and allowing that meek spirit to begin to take control. I have to allow my hunger and thirst to pursue righteousness. I have to learn to extend mercy in order for any of that purification of my heart to happen. Our heart is not ready to be purified until we start to allow our mind to be wrapped around or opened up to these other beatitudes. So a question to take with us today and consider over the week is, how does living this outlook when it looks to, to, to be merciful and to have a pure heart? How does that look when it comes to interacting with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, and our friends? These beatitudes, they involve choices for us to make. Are we willing to make those choices to step closer to the Lord? I can't wait to study this out in our last lesson next week. Until then, thank you for listening to the She Chooses podcast, where we work together to harness this gift of free will, one choice at a time. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. Thank you for taking time to listen. I hope over the next few days, you'll take some time and really think about what we just went over. Look for a way to apply it. It's when we activate the word that we really start to step into the life that Jesus desires for us to live, that authentic Christian living. 
If you found this episode helpful, share it and please leave a review. When you do, you help elevate the She Chooses podcast in the search results of others, making it easier for them to find. And if you're like me and you like to digest information in varying forms, you can find the full episode transcript on the She Chooses website. Check out the show notes for a direct link. And hey, while you're there, go ahead and subscribe, making sure you never miss an episode.